Welcome to Sound and Vision. Conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors, who make amazing acrylic and oil paint, watercolors, and painting mediums. Made in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden sets the standard for art materials. You can find them in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum has an incredible array of roasted coffee beans that you can order and have delivered to your door. They even have a subscription service of curated blends that you can order by visiting their website fulcrumcoffee.com. Sound and Vision listeners can get 20% off their order by adding the code Alfred Studio at checkout. Check out Fulcrum for some amazing coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com. Sound and Vision is also supported by NYC Crit Club. NYC Crit Club is now enrolling through September 18th for their fall 2022 semester. NYC Crit Club offers Zoom courses that connect artists around North America and across the world as well as in-person courses which are hosted in their 550-square-foot studio space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Course options range from group critique to visiting critic programs, seminars, and writing, as well as material-based courses. NYC Crit Club is proud to offer 17 different courses which will be led by new and returning faculty members, including the director of Anton Kern Gallery, Bridget Mahalan, and artists Anna Valdez, Avery Z. Nelson, Jarrett Key, Mira Shore, Chris Bogia, Rose Nestler, among many others. NYC Crit Club is a Brooklyn-based artist-run program and was founded by Catherine Haggerty and Hilary Doyle in 2017 and is currently directed by Catherine Haggerty. NYC Crit Club is proud to offer BIPOC scholarships and financial aid for artists in need. If you would like to learn more, please visit nyccritclub.com or follow on Instagram at NYC Crit Club. Mason Kimber is a Perth-born, Sydney-based artist who makes paintings that extend into sculptural relief and installation to look at how the histories within surfaces can speak to the memory of place. Mason graduated with honors with a Bachelor's of Art from Curtin University in Perth in 2009 and an MFA in painting from the National Art School in Sydney in 2013. He's currently a PhD candidate at UNSW Art and Design in Sydney. After graduating with his MFA, Mason was awarded a three-month studio residency at the British School at Rome in Italy the following year. It was here that he studied ancient fresco painting, which led him to look closely at the various connections between painting and the built fabric of cities. Selected exhibitions include MCA Collection, Perspectives on Place at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Australia, Luster at Sophie Gannon Gallery in Melbourne, Strata at Kronberg Mace Wright in Sydney, Prologue Tongue on Tongue at Gallery Alain in Paris, Slanted Mansions at Coma in Sydney, and New 16 at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art in Melbourne. Mason's been a finalist for the Solman Prize at the Art Gallery of New South Wales, the Churchy National Emerging Art Prize at the Institute of Modern Art in Brisbane, and the New South Wales Visual Arts Fellowship at Art Space Sydney, among others. His work is held in the collections of Art Bank and the Museum of Contemporary Art Australia. 
He's also a sessional painting lecturer at the National Art School in Sydney and a lecturer at UNSW Art and Design. Masons represented by Cronenberg Mays Wright in Sydney and Sophie Gannon Gallery in Melbourne. He and I speak about growing up in clubs, switching coasts, materiality, architecture, place, and much more. Here's our conversation. So what time is it there? Uh, You're in Sydney, right? Sydney, yeah. So it's 10, 10 a.m. Yeah. It's not bad, right? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. and Just getting started? That's it. Monday, Monday morning. Uh, start of the week. Nice. Sunshine is pretty good right now. It's been raining like crazy. But um, no, I can see. Oh, is it rainy season? Uh, it's been. It's like winter. Um, we've had like a right. pretty crazy amount of rain recently. Um, yeah, yeah. I call the weather in Sydney just like emotional. It's it's like it's never consistent. It's just like all over the place. Yeah, emo weather. Emo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you see South Korea though? It was crazy. Like it was no? underwater. Really? Yeah, they had massive flooding. Yeah. Oh, I think in Seoul was like underwater for a while wow i think i read that yeah, it's crazy that's crazy yeah you just don't realize like once it rains for like a couple of days straight and then it keeps going and it's like oh it's just not going to stop and then right. yeah it's just the power it's a monsoon and then it just keeps piling up totally you know i've i've visited japan during raising rainy season and it's a different kind of rain like mm. it just feels ominous, you know, mm. and it just keeps, like you said, it just keeps going. Mm. Well, I like summer storms that pass through quickly. Those are nice. That's we it. get those yeah. here. <laughs> Flirt yeah. with the weather. Yeah. yeah. Just like come and go. It's gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I come from, so, um, um, oh, yeah. you're from the West coast, right? Yeah. I was about to say like in the West coast in Perth, it's, it's so reliable. Like the weather is, is if it says what, it, like the, it says it's going to be 30 and, and, and still it will be like, it, it's very yeah. like, you consistent. know what you're getting. Yeah. Yeah. Which is nice. So that, that, is it a big shift? I mean, I admittedly, I've never been to Australia and I've wanted to go, but I, when I travel far, it's to Japan. So fair it, enough. I never, I mean, it's not that far away, but it's just like, I go to visit family and stuff. So I never right. really go anywhere else yeah. but that you know there because it's far yeah and i've wanted to go but i just haven't made it mm. so i don't really know the lay of the land that well but mm. i do know perth is west coast and sydney's east coast and it's pretty far right it's pretty like far four thousand miles apart or something yeah i mean it's closer from perth to like jakarta or, or like indonesia than it is yeah. to sydney right know? So th- crazy. there's a big gap between the east and the west. There's a lot of a lot yeah. of uh, desert. Yeah. Well, how, that's a big shift. I mean, was that just for school? Um, I did my undergrad in Perth, and then actually went to live in New York for a year. After that, um, did a bit of traveling, then came back, and um, and then I thought I need to kind of get over to Sydney because there's just more galleries, more of an art ecology. So yeah, just moved over there More for stuff that. going on. Yeah, so I did my MFA over in Sydney. Right, yeah. and it's stuck. Yeah, yeah, and it's stuck. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, Sydney's good. It's Melbourne is the, ca- the like the cultural capital. Like they can claim that. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Sydney's got like it's just very beautiful as well. Like just beautiful beaches and hilly and yeah, it's very aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Sounds nice. Um, so, well, how did you, so what's, growing up in Perth, what was the family situation? How did your family end up in Perth? Uh, was it generations or were they? Well, um, yeah, my dad's side, a few generations. Um, yeah. My mum actually was an orphan and her her real dad, who she didn't, she only found out like later on, um, his name is Richard Bossman and he's actually an artist uh, in in living upstate. In, yeah, I know. Yeah. I know, I know Sharon because we went to school together. Oh, wow. Yeah, Sharon's amazing. Oh, yeah, small wow. world. Small world, yeah. Um, Wait, so, so he was, he way yet. He's, he's my grandfather. So what, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. And I only, I only realized, like, I had done art and everything, and I only found this out, like, yeah, late, like, late in my teens. So, yeah. Um, she didn't actually know who he was until sort of later on. She had, right. you know, other parents. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty crazy. That is wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, so, so how, but how did she end up there? Um, in Perth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, well, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I think Richard came, <laughs> he, 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 um, he was like, I think his father was like a, a Dutch sea captain and uh-huh. came to Perth, um, for a while in his childhood. So that's when, why he was in Perth, but he was kind of like always traveling around. I think that's when he had yeah. my mother. Um, right. and then on my dad's side, yeah, they had been in Perth for a couple of generations. Yeah. So. It's, it's funny because like, you know, being in New York, it's such a city that's just made up of mostly people from everywhere else mm. in the world, you mm. know, and it's, that's what makes it really, you know, compelling mm. and like interesting. And, um, since I don't know that much about the history of Australia, mm. but it, it, it does in fact seem like a place where people for generations obviously but are just coming from other places yeah so i always f- find it fascinating how certain people end up in certain places right you know like yeah yeah but like my parents i don't even know you know that's like to your experience like i don't know past you know a certain couple generations mm. what's going on yeah you know, I, I tried to trace it yeah to europe and you know there's it's just gets vague, you know, yeah. it's hard to really go back far. Yeah. Yeah. You can trace like, maybe I can trace like one side of the family to like Scotland or something like that. But, um, yeah, yeah I mean, Australia is a young, you know, it was a colonial country. Um, right. but before that, you know, you've got a, such a rich history of first nations people. So such an, you know, amazing continuing culture. Yeah. Well, so there's creativity in the genes, I guess. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, were your parents creative in what they did? Yeah. Well, um, my dad. Both of them have never had like a salary job. Um, like my dad owned nightclubs and pubs and nice. restaurants. He was like an entrepreneur. Um, yeah. And he always like he was always sort of had a vision. Like he'd walk into a room and be like he'd start talking like developer talk, you know, this, if I put the bathrooms there and then I got a DA approval, I could put, you know, put lights over here and like everything had the potential to be like a a venue. Um, Instant strategy. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Everything was, yeah. It's like scheming every, every space he went into. 
but I think he had was he, was he into music and was he drawn to it because of the you know the arts side of it or was it more of just the the entrepreneurial side of it I think he he was a, wasn't a highly social kid and I think he started working in bars when he was young and he liked being behind the scenes and like creating a space where people can kind of come to him in a way right right um, so I think he liked being that sort of that organizer of a of a like a entertainment space perhaps nice um yeah it's like built-in social yeah lubricant in a way like yeah you don't have to do everything because you you're in that environment yeah that's it and that's um like maybe a part of a reason why i used to dj as well i mean djing is like that right it's like you're yeah. having a party but like the, everyone's sort of looking at you <laughs> in the party right. yeah yeah right yeah it's you there's a little buffer right it's kind of like you're the center of attention but you don't have to go mingle with everyone because you can be behind yeah like I used to play music and when you get on stage, it's nice because before and after you can be off, mm. you know, you, you, no one knows, or you could just be backstage or whatever. Yeah. You come out and you do the gig and then you could just kind of go hide again. I know. It's perfect. Yeah. So you get that combination of like, Hey, look at me, but yeah, you don't have to be on the whole time. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just have to do your thing. Yeah. And I'm always fascinated by the DJ setups. Like when my dad used to have a club and it was... Um, the DJ said it was like up this ladder um, in this sort of mezzanine, like, and it was just this, its own like kind of capsule pod above, like floating above the dance floor, and it's like you know this sort of nice. spaceship controller kind of situation. Sounds Daft Punky. Yeah, yeah, total Daft Punk. <laughs> Need like a helmet, um, right? But then I remember DJing in this place called the Manor, and it was like themed on this sort of like a manor, like a mansion. And um, the DJ yeah. booth had this like white piano, and where the keys were were the were the decks, and um, that was good because you kind of felt like you're part of the crowd, but at the same time there was a distance because you had this big wooden structure that separated you yeah. <laughs> from you know people wanting right. requests on their birthday or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So you you started doing that early, the DJing stuff. Pretty early, yeah. Um, I think I think because like during my childhood, my my dad would just kind of be running around like the venues he was managing, and and he just left me like during the day to sort of roam around <laughs> clubs and pubs yeah. and things like that. So I was like playing with buttons and um, you know just testing equipment, and he was always you know talking tech talk about certain cables or something like that. So just playing around with things, you know, kind of naturally led to the the DJing sort of thing. That's cool, and that's it's kind of like a natural habitat. Do you are you still do you still go out to see music and do that stuff? Not or as you kind of retired. Yeah, not as much. I feel, yeah, it makes me feel old. But um, like I have still have my vinyl collection, but it's more of like a sit at home, put on a kind of like instrumental background, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, my my twelve inches are sort of stored away. Don't really have much yeah. <laughs> much use anymore. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's, you know, you get, it gets to a point to where you're like, you know, like, uh, again, I played music for a long time, you know, and did touring and all that stuff. And, and then it, there was just a line. I don't know what mm. it, when it was exactly, but where it was like, I just don't want to yeah. be on the road all the time. I've kind of got to grow up and just yeah. not be going out. You know, it, right. it's kind of like, it just hits you to where you're like, it's fun once in a while to go see a live show or something, but yeah. that nightlife stuff can really be draining. Oh yeah, it's pretty physically. Like, did you play instruments and? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played guitar. Guitar for, yeah. most, for the most part. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 
I always thought about drummers. Like they have to t- like take so much gear with them every time they want to do a quick thing. It's like, wow. yeah. And even with yeah, it's a lot of lugging. Yeah, for sure. yeah. It's, it's physical, and the thing is, it doesn't start until late. So by the time you're breaking down stuff, mm. you know, unless you have or you're big enough to have roadies, which must be nice. But mm. you know, you're packing up all your stuff when you're, you know, exhausted, and you've just yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah, yeah. And even with like vinyl records, when you were carrying around a big thing of vinyl records, like that's a back issue. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> it must be nice now, right? Like, yeah. Even with like music stuff, it's so. I think it must be so much easier to tour. Oh yeah. Just like we didn't have GPS. Yeah. We had to use maps to get to the next gig. <laughs> yeah. So you were kind of guaranteed to be late. Mm, yeah, yeah. Or super early. Yeah. Right now yeah. it's just like a USB. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Travel with a laptop. Yeah, yeah. Must be nice. Yeah. Or seven so, inches—they're great, you know, because they're sort of small records. Oh yeah, they're more compact. Mm. Right. But, well, so getting back to the parents, so he was doing that for a living. You were in that environment. Mm. Is that where you think, you know, some some arts or creativity sort of came into the door? Maybe. I'm, I kind of only realized the last year or so, like looking back, thinking, why am I drawn to the things I'm drawn to? And definitely I think he and my dad letting me run around in these venues like all day. And I'm an only child, so I just had to sort of... And he's very, like, business-minded, like, um, just goes off and does his thing. So I think I was just left um, in these sort of, like, buildings that are always under construction and, like, just paying attention to sort of the details and textures and, like, architectural minutiae, basically, of, of these venues. And I think my sort of attention landed on those sort of textures and, like, the, the carpets that were soaked in alcohol and <laughs> and like the, the edges <laughs> yeah and I guess when you're shorter you know like all those sort of those things like you know, the textures of things they're closer to your vision so you right. sort of pick up on all those details um, so just sitting around in those venues and they were always sort of under construction like always there was always something changing it's like they were yeah constantly morphing into something so it's kind of like you, you start to see these spaces as like, like in almost in the mind, you know, when you think about an architectural space, they're kind of like shifting a little bit or they're not exactly concrete. Like they might be a bit blurry in some right. parts. Um, so I can't, kind of thinking about spaces in that way, like they kind of exist in the imagination. They're very like concrete at one point, but also fluid in the other sense. Yeah, they're kind of malleable to the different experiences of who's coming in there and what they're doing. Mm. It's kind of like a theater. You know, a theater is, architecturally, it is what it is, but then the stage is always changing, the audience mm. is changing. So it's depending on whatever is coming into it, that creative endeavor will will shift the space and your mm. experience of it. Yeah, In the same way that the vision of what you see changes too. You right, know? and according to where you are watching the theater. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like... You think that the like the theater is kind of or theater. I mean, it's kind of like a painting. It's like the theater is the is the the frame, <laughs> and then inside of right. that, you've got like the act or the activity, um, and maybe the same with with architecture. You've got like the structure, but then within the, the interior, you know, things are always moving around. Well, that that creates a pretty direct through line to like that experience. 
and the content of your work right. specifically. So <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's not that one to one. Like mm. you weren't thinking like, oh, I was in a club and I saw this wall close right. to my face of that texture, and now I'm gonna, <laughs> you know, but it must have had that effect. You know, it's, maybe you get drawn to. I think you know unconsciously we're just uh, a lot of what we see. The maybe not we can drift from it, but the sensibilities of what we are gravitate towards mm. or informed by our unconscious experiences when we're yeah younger totally. you know what i mean i think you know i grew up in pittsburgh it's a pretty gray city mm. you know there's a certain palette to it mm. and i think my color sensibility it's i'm gravit i gravitate towards certain colors mm. and i think it's just that yeah that's I, the only thing i could explain i think we all have a palette <laughs> you know yeah, like, right right like from you know from our experience i mean that's that that's how you relate to to colors right i mean how they definitely yeah come together yeah i think um sensitivity is is a good word like you you develop a certain sensitivity to something and i feel like you know we can only there's so much going on in the outside world you can only sort of focus on you know certain things um so you tend to kind of zoom into a particular aspect of something and i think that for me was more sort of the details of spaces um and kind of a spatial awareness um, like I would imagine, though, in that environment, it would be dark a lot of the time, right? Yeah. Or were you there during the day when things? Well, were during the day, yeah, there was like the only people there were like cleaners, and um, yeah, so the lights were still on. dark though. Still dark. They're usually dark. Yeah. There's like the one door in the front or the one back door when they open it up, and it's almost like a cave where totally. the light comes. Yeah. Coming through, you know. Yeah, because all the light actually comes from like the the feature lights, like when there's you know, D- right. DJ or something. So the actual kind of room lights are pretty, pretty basic. Yeah. I think for the most part, or at least the clubs that I used to go to and play in and stuff, it was just always so cave-like, yeah. I guess, because they want to control everything. Yeah. They, don't, they ended up being pretty dark. <laughs> I guess you go to a club to escape like the rest of the world. So you don't want to feel like you're connected. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like a movie theater. You don't want a skylight in there. Yeah. <laughs> totally. You're going like, it's a suspension of disbelief. Like you're yeah. going to spend some time in another world. And if you like, you could look up and see the clouds. It kind of, yeah. It, so. That sobering feeling of being at a place and then the lights come on is like, such Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good way. It's, to- it's a, it's a, it's a weird kind of like, yeah, it's movies do that really well. Yeah. To that's where, true. you know, if you sink into it, like I just flew, you know, a couple of days ago mm. and it was, you know, like a seven hour flight or something. And I watched interstellar, you know, oh. which is a pretty long movie. Yeah. And it was the first time I saw it. Really? And when it ended, yeah. When oh. I ended, I was like, Oh my God, I'm on a plane. So you watched <laughs> it on the plane. Yeah. Wow. That's a good one to be to watch on a plane for sure. It was intense, <laughs> you know, and it was like that, you know, there's the white noise of flying and yeah. then, kind of like it almost like worked yeah the the aesthetic of that movie but yeah but yeah you really disconnect from reality Mm. for a while if it's a good movie Mm. you know which that kind of experience doesn't happen that often i don't know that's and you start to think like oh my god am i am i like going through the space time continuum or like you you start to question like how you perceive time and yeah right as you fly backwards and the sun right it's it's like (laughs) yeah the weather is like moving with you or something. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it was pretty meta. Yeah. yeah. And then you go into like the idea of time and, you know, it changes with the, how high you are to the, you know, it's like, it is very relative, right? Yeah. yeah. Temperature shifts and all that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's a, a real existential 
kind of there was a layering going on there, mm. I think mm. oh, it's, it's amazing that you waited that long to, to see it it's like it's such a gem you know I've been yeah I've been bad at watching movies mm. since I don't know I think I went through a long spell when I was in school where I watched movies all the time mm. and then I think I just kind of once I had my son for a long time it was just like kids movies right. you know we weren't really and you get so tired at, you know at yeah. night if I started watching a movie I'm out in right. the first 10 minutes yeah <laughs> so you know I just haven't been as good so mm. there's a lot of them that are like in the queue but I just mm. And I don't know, it's hard. Usually you sort of, like, I remember the things that I listen to or watch on a plane or on a, on a journey. And so that might stick with you as, like, the plane movie. I think so. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a, it's a heightened mm. way to experience something. Mm. Do you ever do that where you, yeah. like, you curate a playlist for a, a holiday or something? Like a musical? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. I do that all the, all the time. Right. Yeah, and then there's, like certain songs that remind me of certain years yeah, yeah. it's very specific it's like a time stamp yeah yeah totally yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a it's amazing though how you can do that um, and it's funny because you know like on this trip I went somewhere new and going to museums I feel like is such a staple mm. and there's a familiarity to it but but when you go to a new museum, it's different. Yeah. So there's something really nice about tying together like art in a place mm. in a new experience for me. Mm. I don't know. How did you find I that know, difference? I, was it? Like, it was great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I love like it. I feel like you know being in a, a city like New York, you're it's it's a gift because there's yeah. so many museums, there's so much great work, and you know you can kind of get into the the ritual or habit. Even mm. though there's new shows, you kind of like it's familiar. Mm. So to go somewhere brand new is just like a cool experience. Mm. You know? mm. I love that. It's like a reset button. Yeah, yeah. I remember like in New York, you just get so spoiled for what was on, especially for music gigs. Right? Like <laughs> you'd be like, oh, that one's I got. That's like five dollars to get in. Oh, that's way too much. You know, like <laughs> yeah, there'd be so many free things on. You'd be so picky, yeah. you know. And now, like in in Australia, in Sydney, it's like any sort of international act that I'm like vaguely interested in. It's like, oh my gosh, I'll pay any any amount of money to <laughs> right. see them. Yeah, you're going to see. So, well, how did that work? So, well, let, well, let's go back to you as a kid. So, when did you start? Like, actually, you know, were you drawing? Were you like making art as a kid? You know what I mean? Yeah. When did the like art with sort of ART come into play <laughs> yeah uh, I think it was pretty early like my my mum always encouraged me to to draw she was kind of a creative person like a, a hairdresser and a makeup artist and stuff so um she always wanted me to do that and whenever, whenever we'd like go on like family trips or something I'd be drawing like yeah um so always and then during high school she also encouraged me to like to continue doing that my dad was like okay I want you to <laughs> be real and like know that we're living in a capitalist society and like, um, right. but, but he was like, okay, just whatever you do, like do it well or something. Like he, he didn't care whether it was art or something else as long as it was like sort of doing something. Um, so mum encouraged me to do art and he was like kind of indifferent to it. So, and then in like late high school, I was like in lunchtime, I was always in the art room and that's when it became like oh this is actually a thing you know that I could do um, right so I kind of went straight from high school to to art school 
uh, Curtin University, um, which is good, but also, you know, you sort of don't really know what you're wanting to make art about at that stage. Right, right. So, you know, you're sort of just making horrible paintings. But it must be tough. Like, I feel like it, you know, I only know going to universities because I never went to an art school, like, where it's nothing but art. So. Mm you know, you're forced to take all these general education classes and, you know, mm. and even if you declare yourself an art major early on, you still have to do all that other stuff. So mm. it the idea of going to an art school flat out, it, it sounds exciting. It seems like it would be really cool in a way, but mm. also that pressure too of like, okay, I'm doing this and I got to start being good at it mm. like right away. You yeah, know I mean? yeah easing into the pool you're going like you know right. diving in head first right and to go from like the year 12 which is like the end of high school where we're getting all this sort of foundational general art knowledge to like okay conceptual art 1960s right. and 70s like fluxus movement and whatever and you're like um <laughs> how do i yeah. how do i sort of process all of that and how do i like make that into what i'm intending to do it sort of took a while to sort of for that to sink in um, but did they go that deep that early? <laughs> Maybe that was you like second year, third year. Because uh, I was going to say that, that I feel like that intro to art history class. Mm. I mean, I only went to the school I went to, but just by talking to people, it just seems like that's such a like a staple course, like the yeah. Gombrich book, you know, like yeah. of, of like art history and going from the cave paintings on. Right. But, but yeah, I guess in art school you probably get the things quicker than you would at a regular university yeah you know? yeah and also think that that age you sort of you only take in what you what resonates with you at that moment in time in your life like yeah i remember we had these art history lectures and i'm sure that was super interesting but the person who gave the the lectures was he talked in this like like really slow it was like like he was like a lullaby it was like a bedtime story kind of voice oh yeah and always kind of drifted Recipe off for sleep yeah yeah it's like and it's usually dark because they're like projecting slides and right. it's like not lights out yeah yeah so i was like oh i really want to pay attention but it's just like and it was in the afternoon so you know just you just start like your head just starts fading away yeah <laughs> but um and it's tough and it, yeah and it's like i don't know how you feel about it but i feel like education they always say like education is wasted on the young because mm-hmm. like it's, at that point you might not be you know that interested right in you know in tiepolo or something <laughs> yeah. but you know later on you look back at it and you're like oh man this stuff is great yeah but yeah i still am doing that constantly where i look back to things yeah it's like i missed it you know yeah. and like whenever i was introduced to it I could care less. I was thinking mm. about Jackson Pollock or like, you know, throwing paint around like a monkey or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and it takes, sometimes it, it, it takes some distance, yeah. you know, or you've been doing something like you've been working in a field for a while mm. and then you can look back and really appreciate it. Totally. Yeah. But it's tough early on. Yeah. I remember like, and I think music kind of played, played that role a bit early in my life where I, would, I knew that art was something I was always sort of going to do and interested in, but then, like I got really excited about music and making music and going to gigs and that would trump like something that the interest in that would, you know, be so exciting that, you know, I would, um, like when I lived in New York for a year, it was, I came to do art. Like I got a studio and 
got into debt trying to <laughs> have a studio and then it, music ended up taking over like i started to like record in oh, my, yeah. my apartment and go to lots of gigs nice. and, yeah so it kind of um took over for a bit but um what kind of were you writing stuff like doing electronic stuff um uh, it was all like sampling like hi- sort of hip-hop yeah. style <laughs> yeah like funk soul jazz that kind of thing so i was collecting records and my um we had a studio apartment in, in williamsburg and the whole sort of area was turned into a little studio um my my partner nice. at the time wasn't too into that idea but <laughs> 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 we ended up like having um like recording instruments in there like horn sections and stuff like that wow yeah it's pretty funny nice yeah. and what year was that uh it was like 2008 2009 kind of okay time um i worked like at a place called schiller's liquor bar it was on in the lorry side which is now oh, I don't know gone. Um, it was on uh, Norfolk Street, I think. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, run by that um, the same person who does Balthazar, like Keith. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It was a really great little place because it was it felt sort of a bit grungy and um, yeah, it was it was an exciting time. I was Catonic wasn't still on Norfolk then, was it? I think it sure. was shut down probably before that was that a club or yeah tonic was like a live venue i mean it was like legendary like medeski martin and wood and all these like got their start like they would play there and right it was like avant jazz and you know some like electronic stuff but it, and arto Lindsay always played there it was a really uh, cool club now it's for a while it was a gallery right it was at least a cool or it was yeah it and i don't even know what's there now right i mean i haven't been keeping track of like there's been so many changes yeah yeah, but yeah, there was a lot of live, great live music venues down there. Yeah, well, this was a—it was more of like a bistro, restaurant, bar sort of thing. Um, yeah, but yeah, there was so much happening, um, and yeah, we had a little place in Williamsburg, and yeah, it was such a great time. You know, such a great lifestyle. Yeah. My, my job at the, the the bar was like a host. I'd I'd like greet people when they come in and like seat them to their table. And I think they just straight up hired me for my Australian accent because <laughs> it's like, you know, everyone's like, oh my God, you're an Aussie. You know, it became this kind of thing. Yeah. You were like the exotic host. Yeah, like, yeah. pretty much. I was subjectified for that, Yeah, which I'm happy to do. <laughs> hey, well, yeah. it was a gig, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I'll go work in a bar in Perth just for the American, oh, yeah. American accent. Yeah, no, you do well. Yeah, they love Hey, that guys, stuff. come on in the table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds good. But it's, it seems like you had a good year in New yeah, York. Yeah, yeah. You enjoyed it. Yeah, it was, um, it was a big, you know, from Perth to New York's kind of like a big jump. Um, and yeah, I ended up making, making a lot of music and, um, and, it was just a good lifestyle, like catching the train, and yeah, it was just a great, very like stimulation, like very stimulating for the, for me at that time. And I guess Perth, you know, has a great um, independent culture, great independent music scene. Like a lot of good music comes out of Perth, um, and there used to be more c- commercial galleries in Perth, but now there's just sort of much much less. So culturally, I sort of got a lot of what I was sort of yearning for in New York yeah. in terms of galleries. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's got everything. Yeah. I mean, for good and for bad. Yeah, that's true. You, you feel like a... It brings it all. ...small fish in a big <laughs> pond. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and just the, like the day to day. I mean, there's a, you can go out and see amazing things and have great food and, mm-hmm. and you can also like deal with like, you know, crazy people and stressful travel, like whatever it is. Right. It's got it all. Yeah. You know, it's all in a big package. That's it. I think after a year, I was always thinking to myself, like, could I be a New Yorker? You know, you have that. Right. But after, I think, 11 months, I sort of, I wanted someone to come up and say, hey, mate. <laughs> like in Australia, they right, just say, right. hey, mate. Like everyone's yeah, yeah. so sort of like easygoing in Australia. It's like, you know, everyone just talks to everyone. And it was, I think people in New York were nice, but only if like you stopped them and like they were just otherwise on a mission to do something. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a different like that. It's funny. I don't know what you would call that. That interactivity. Mm. There's a different pace to that, right? And a different like lock code to it, right? Which is annoying in a way because like, I mean, I guess you get used to it or something, but. Every time I go to Europe or I go somewhere, I travel somewhere where people are generally more nice or like open or, mm. you know, I, you just, when I get back, I'm like, oh God, New York. Yeah. Like, why am I here? Like, it's so, yeah. uh, coarse in that sense. Yeah. But then people are really nice when you open up to, you know, yeah. it, it's weird. It's a weird dynamic. Yeah. We, I like the sort of neighborhood feel as well of a small sort of situation. Like we uh, in a place in Redfern in, in, in the city and we live in a cul-de-sac now and there's like a playground at the end of the street and you sort of have to know everyone like because you, the only people that come to the street would be the neighbours you know so yeah you feel like you you are part of a, a little area so that's a nice feeling, right you know kids playing so. yeah I mean you know if if quality of life is not really your thing then New York's great right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. sacrifice awesome stuff here yeah Sacrifice but, community. You know, you just, yeah. yeah, you're not going to... I mean, we we went through COVID and we mm. did a, like a hard lockdown because mm. we had family members who were very at risk. Mm. And we spent like all that time in an apartment with no yard, you know what I mean? A tiny balcony. Wow. And you could like... It's a building with tons of people. So we were just like in, mm. you know, and then I had friends who were like either left or went upstate or people in LA or something and they've got like big yards right. and they, it's yeah. just you're like oh man anybody who's it seems but, like anybody who had another place to go like and made that early decision like split decision like I'm gonna get out yeah. like most times it seems that was like a very wise decision to get out <laughs> right yeah you know, like, it was yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just for like the sanity well you, no one knew what was gonna happen but the, the ability for people to work you know online and, and connect that way yeah. really facilitated yeah you know like everyone caught up with it so right. you know like as a teacher you know yeah. we had already been using zoom for visiting artists sometimes we were kind of ready right but they pretty much everyone who teaches it was like okay tomorrow you're online right yeah and people were just like what what do we do you know yeah but we were able to do it because of you know the mm. way it's set up now mm. which that never would happen like 20 years ago yeah it was yeah, because I also teach art and um, sometimes like design, sort of architecture as well. And <clears throat> but there's certain things though with like painting, studio sort of stuff that, as you know, you just you can only do so much online. Um, so I teach at this place, the National Art School, and we did some online kind of like talking about students' work in their home or whatever. But mostly it was like we'll just we'll just do what we can online, but we're not going to try to replace the IRL right. thing here. Yeah. Like let's just, right, right. <laughs> let's just tread yeah. water for a while. Like a footnote. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just take some time. 
and let's not try to you know you know duplicate the real thing which i think was actually yeah, that's a good you know because i think other places maybe tried to sort of like make it all doable online you know and it's like uh, you know it's good for in certain ways but not in in complete ways yeah, it had its advantages and disadvantages, and you yeah. kind of have to embrace that because if you fight it, yeah, you know, it's not like if you go back to teaching in person and you try to do it like it's online, yeah, <laughs> it's no. not going to work either. No. You got to know what's good in each venue. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I remember doing the blended mode. Have you ever done like we? Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. That was so like so discombobulating. You know, you just felt so drained yeah. after that. Yeah. I know it wasn't easy. It was yeah. Mm-hmm. That whole whatever that window was that yeah. we were in was not so great nah, I nah. mean hallelujah that yeah. things have you know emerged a little bit yeah wood. yeah I think Sydney um, was pretty good Melbourne got had a pretty heavy lockdown for a while but yeah we were okay yeah so you were in Sydney at that time so when you made the move over there it was for grad school right yeah yeah what was your work kind of like then were you starting to flesh out like these ideas of bringing architecture in or were you just painting like you know nudes or ufos or something (laughs) (laughs) um i wish i was painting ufos actually but um right (laughs) me too now my early work which i'm so ashamed of is like just so sort of oh come on yeah. we were all like making turds and <laughs> yeah, like, you yeah. know in school it's, yeah you got to get it out you i know as a demon so. totally totally but uh they were all sort of about like the architectural uncanny like there was there was still uh, like urban scenes things like that like from like buildings looking from outside like the mystery of what was behind that that wall or that building so it was always obviously in like a edward hopperish yeah kind of feel yeah hopper yeah. sort of thing um so that, yeah, and that moody kind of atmosphere of a place, like it was all, that was the kind of connecting theme um, and in the kind of more represent, representational style. And then I applied for the grad school here um, at the Nashville Art School to get in with those types of images. And then and then I became more interested in like film, film screen memory, like how images yeah. from films kind of influence how we see our, um, our you know, memories. Um, and then... But I think I feel like the real work happened straight after, like I graduated. You know, it's like right, yeah. Got to get out of the forest, yeah, before you can yeah. see the truth. You know, yeah. As soon as I had a studio of my own, like the work completely shifted. It's like I, I had no one around to like monitor. You know, I could just sort of make right. intuitive things, and and then then after that, that was, um, I had like a show in an artist run space and. And the sort of the, more of the career sort of began in that way. Um, yeah, I had an early career in Perth, but um, it was it was like I think it was too early. You know, I was just the work wasn't there yet. Right. Um, so it was kind well, of well. So you found it liberating out of school. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people get out and they're like, you know, they it's too quiet. Like they don't know right. what to do. They have like almost like post critique paralysis or something <laughs> where they're like i don't know what to do no one care no one's watching right there's no one looking it's like so the training wheels are off yeah. yeah yeah and then you just don't know where to go mm. it sounds like you were pretty like you know fueled by it well yeah i mean it's not like art school was too um people telling me what to do or whatever it's very supportive um but i think it's just more like the momentum of it like you spend a couple of years just sort of doing this doing that um 
And then that was that sort of project bookended by the grad show. And so after yeah. that, it's like, okay, now I can move on to dot, 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 you know. And, um, and I think that freeing nature of moving on and sort of the momentum of the school um, graduating sort of you sort of build on that and then it becomes a bit more bit more real and open and more closely linked to your sensibility maybe yeah well supportive in grad school those yeah words together sound so nice <laughs> not your experience <laughs> not have that experience yeah. oh no it was like you know breaking you down so you build yourself back up right yeah this is my thing i never know as a teacher like what's the best like the good cop bad cop like do you i'm obviously you've got to be critical and but you do also need to sort of nurture and yeah Yeah, i think it's different these days Mm. i think back i mean not not that old i guess but i mean when i was in grad school in the late 90s you know it was you had to have a tough skin because you were going to get destroyed and critique mm. it was just like you know i mean it was part of the program and it was part of like the time i think but you were just it was kind of like fight or flight i mm. mean you had to just you you were either strong enough to take the criticism and then use it or mm. throw it out or digest it or you just ran away from the process totally right. which probably needlessly scared some people away from wanting to make work but yeah. There is something to be said about like weeding out the the people who aren't really cut out for it. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, but these days I think you need. There's so much. It's like anxiety, and there's so many people watching everyone doing what they're doing online, right. and yeah. you know, I mean, I have a teenager, so I see kind of like what how different it is, mm. you know. And I think there needs to be more support because yeah. there's so much internal feeling of like critique all the time with everyone looking at what you're doing yeah people are on edge and i feel like some people especially young people who join like um straight out of school the university at art school like maybe they're doing that because like that's literally the only thing left that they think that they can do you know so if you then straight straight away shut that down for them um that can be pretty debilitating for them so yeah yeah i mean i i abide by the feeling of you know look you may not figure it out you may not have what as a teacher i feel like i need to leave their studio and they want to work right like yeah i want to push them i want to challenge them to work hard Mm. because i can't be unrealistic and say like yeah you can like phone it in or work like 30 percent effort and and succeed right it's like you're probably not Not, going to you know what i mean like there's people out there who want it like 150 percent yeah so yeah you got to work hard and but uh, but i want to inspire them to want to work yeah i don't want to crush their spirit i had critiques where like you know visiting artists who were like yeah this just isn't for everyone you know right basically like hang it up yeah <laughs> so I mean, there is some know, truth i yeah. mean it's, it, it, that is true <clears throat> yeah, but. yeah i mean it's it's in a way it's hard to have that critique and i think i mm. sat there for a day like what the you know like mm. what do i do but mm. it's good to be able to sort of you know just say no i like this is what i'm doing like right. you know 
that guy thought I should hang it up, but I, this is my passion. So right. testing yourself in a way. Yeah, you know. yeah. And, and it makes you more self-reflective of like, okay, what is, uh, is, is what they're saying true or is it, you know, should I be have that conviction that, you know, I can fight right. back on that idea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I think it, it, it builds a different kind of backbone to it, I guess. Yeah. I don't think it's essential, but, you know, when life gives you lemons, yeah, you lemonade. Yeah, you know that's it. Yeah, it's constructive but critical. You know, you want to be, <laughs> yeah, hard. Well, the real world's like that. Though. Yeah, it's true. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they, if you want to be an artist and show work and, and mm. do that, you know, I don't. The support system, I guess, is your friends and stuff. Yeah, but, you know, galleries and collect like uh, the 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 machine of it is not going to be like, oh, well, right. you know, <laughs> we don't really care about your work that much, but come on, we'll buy some of it or we'll support you. You know, right. it doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, they don't, if, if they don't care, they don't care. And you're, you know, yeah. so that's the reality of totally. it. Totally. Really. Yeah. 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 It's good to get them used to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to, to introduce the idea that, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like you're not going to be coddled for the rest of your life completely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like some students you find like they're sort of, you go to give feedback and, and they're like, oh, no, I don't really see what you're saying. I'm pretty, ha- I'm pretty happy with the work. You know, <laughs> you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that, I know. know that's, that's, that's a, fu- that's a hard one. Yeah. Uh, I feel like to get used to because, as a student, I would never say right. good things about my work. Right, right. I would never have the like, you know, the audacity to be like, "Yeah, I feel really good about this new painting." It's yeah. like, what? I would never say that. I would always be like, you know, self-deprecating. Or right. Whatever. Yeah. I would, but I think that's the thing with with young people today. There's so much criticism, or mm. just so many eyes on everything. Mm. It's almost like to be strong, you have to say like. I'm okay with this, mm. you know, like, yes, I know it's not perfect, right? but I, I, I'm happy with how, but then when you hear people talking about like how I'm so happy with how this came out, it's like, okay, what's well, not that. I nah, mean, that's not, yeah. That's don't not, be too happy here. Yeah. Like, you got to keep the, you know, set the bar. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you want to be like, cr- you know, like helpfully critical of yourself all the time. Like, um, I just had a show recently that the, I'm not sure if you experienced this, but when you're kind of like working towards a new sort of way of working, maybe you're like, I sort of blended two parts of my practice together and thought, okay, I want to like bring them closer together in these new works. And I felt like I was just at the beginning of doing that. And so, but then I, the deadline right. came for the exhibition and the works were out there and I'm sort of happy with them, but I know that they're like just the starting point of like a new direction. So it's like, maybe not the best body of work ever you know but <laughs> it's just out there um yeah but it's so weird as art that we kind of like like our job like we put that stuff out mm. you know the way it works is so strange mm. and even that idea of like well i'm really happy with this is like you can imagine a surgeon who just like botches the end of like a brain surgery <laughs> yeah, yeah. was really happy with the way things started yeah, yeah. And I, I felt like I did pretty good there yeah yeah I, I felt like, good no, that doesn't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. like I was really happy with the way I started the bridge but right. you know the part that fell in the middle yeah. because I screwed up the engineering eh, yeah you know yeah, yeah, yeah. but I thought I did a pretty good job it's right. like no one cares it's like, like absolving you yourself you of responsibility <laughs> yeah Right, right. Yeah, yeah, but it either worked or it didn't work. But since art is subjective or creativity, like right. you know, it creates all this gray area for yeah, which, which 
is interesting. Yeah. But it's not like anything else. No. I mean, that's why I like talking about art with students because, like, I can completely double down on the work itself and know that I'm not attacking the person, you know. Right. If I give the work enough attention in the way that I'm analyzing and describing it, like in the material thing and stuff, like they can, they'll be able to see that I'm not just making some flippant comment, but I'm actually like anything that I say in response to the work is based on a deep looking of the thing. You know, I think once they see you doing that, like giving it the time, and then anything you say after after that, it sort of has more legitimacy because it's like, okay, they actually took the time to sort of see the work, so whatever they have to say is like, you know, it's, it's not like some, some baggage they're bringing to the work, you know, it's like literally something that they right. engage with, you know, properly. Um, yeah. And I think the more as a teacher, the more that you see and experience and think and write mm. and talk about images or work, you know, the more baggage you have, the more perspective you have. Mm. So, your perspective may not be necessarily... They might not agree with it. It may not be quote-unquote right. Mm. But those eyes have are seeing that work through all that experience. And there's yeah. something to be said for that. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Totally. As opposed to someone coming off... And one's not right, one's not wrong. Yeah. But as opposed to someone coming into the, off the street into the gallery and saying, well, I don't think this painting's any good because yeah. it just looks like the side of a wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But they don't, they don't have the perspective of understanding art history and like the you know, the deep lexicon of visual art, which is, you know, if you're making work today and you're serious about it and you know, that's how that should be seen. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something to be said about that knowledge or experience, I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and with the recent show, there was a, like a reviewer. There's not much like independent arts, like reviewing, uh, anymore in Australia. There used to be like sort of like you'd pay writers, but, um, but this one was just online and they really did took, take the time to like see the work and it was just a short review, yeah. but it felt, it felt good because I think like as an artist, that's kind of all you want is like someone to deeply look at the work, you know, and to reflect yeah, on it. For sure. <laughs> um, yeah. It's always amazing when that happens. You're like, Oh my God, you took the time out, yeah, you know, yeah. especially these days because right. there's so much out there. Yeah. And art criticism has changed so much mm. since, like, yeah, I remember coming out of school and, like, if you got a New York Times review mm. or something, like, that was, like, you know, you made the it. ends of the earth. Yeah. You know, and now it's just, like, I don't know, how many people like your, your post right. or whatever. It's a totally yeah. different algorithm. How many friends algorithm. like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's changed, for sure. Yeah. But, yeah, that thoughtful, like, when someone just really digs in mm. that feels good and even they put it in context with my other work so it's like oh they're seeing it as part of like a larger body of you know practice or whatever um you know you feel you just feel like okay at least one person saw it and understood what i was trying to do you know right that, but it's crazy that's that's used to be all criticism right <laughs> like yeah. they would look at the work and say well their last show at sauna ben gallery yeah. they were showing you know whatever it and and this one the moves that were made like mm. because there wasn't so much noise i think mm. you could focus in it's it's a catch-22 because i feel like back in the day there were only a handful of galleries there weren't that many crit- you know it was mm. a smaller community yeah so people felt like oh it's canonized and it's not open to diversity and all these people right. yeah so that was like a real detriment but now it's kind of like blown open yeah 
and now people are like, oh, no one's really digging in anymore. Right. But how can you when there's four million things going on at the same time? Yeah, yeah. You know? And where which angle are you going to come at it? You know, like, are you going to come at it from the art historical Western canon critique angle? Like, or are you going to come at it from the right. know, political angle? Or, yeah, it's, it's hard to know. But It's hard. There's a lot more stuff you know it, yeah. it's it's a we, it's funny we're really living through a major shift in the way yeah. we digest stuff i know. You know yeah sometimes i think like am i just like with painting you know am i am i just denying the inevitable shift to like <laughs> everything being you know in the metaverse or something and i'm just here holding out with my material, <laughs> material object you know right, right. <laughs> what i mean yeah no but it's I, I feel like it's so important because um it slows it's it's a slow pace you yeah know? it's a different you know it's essential in the way yeah you know yeah maybe the the sort of weight to it changes mm. or the attention span of the general whatever it is mm changes but there's something still to be said for those things being made yeah and that kind of thinking yeah because yeah. ultimately we all make art to communicate to people mm, right it's yeah. almost like like you were saying you want to hear hear people read people like thinking about what you're doing mm. but i think if you take it a step back from that just the act as an artist of slowing things down mm. and or as a human yeah. thinking about something yeah, deeply totally and spending that time is an act in of a, in and of itself right. different than what most things are happening? Yeah, and that means something in our world, you know. Yeah, it brings with if it that leaves completely. Yeah, it's over. The, yeah, totally. Yeah, I think it brings with it an ethic that you can then apply to other forms of you know how you engage with other things, like a deep, Definitely. deep consideration of something. Yeah, yeah, and that's what you know. That's why I think any successful work it has that like it's somehow embodied in the thing like that deep slow thinking is however like materially or whatever it's it's you can unpack that if you give it time it'll reveal itself to you like to me that's the most successful artworks that will reward a long viewing basically right yeah yeah like if you think about an analogy of like food right Mm. like everything now is like mass produced and it's like it's like a factory you know Mm. and then you have that one farmer who's still growing the small batches of things like, mm. even though technically they're not needed like you know that's kind of an anomaly right. like they're just why are you still doing that but the people who go to that farm stand to eat that food it really means something yeah. that has to stay just totally. the act of doing that yeah yeah. Or otherwise, we we're, it's just all. There's, and then the, the the connection between a source and what you're getting is just lost. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, the soul is gone. Yeah, yeah. You know? I'm reading this great book at the moment that was recommended. Um, T. J. Clark, The Sight of Death, and it's um, this writer who um, did a residency the Getty in in L. A. and like spent two weeks looking at a Poussin painting. And like, <laughs> and every day just went and looked at this one work, and like every time it was like a diary, um, and didn't even know that that was what, what it was going to turn into a book. It was more like, okay, you know, here I am on Sunday. There's screeching kids running around, and then I'm looking. And but every day and every like um, week, there's a new element of the painting that gets revealed through like this just close, close, close slowing down and looking, and even. On some days, like the the roof, um, some someone's exposed to like the natural lighting, and then when there's no natural lighting, then it brings out a whole new color 
system and surface depth and all this kind of stuff. And yeah. just yeah, just amazing. You can write a whole book on one painting and it revealed itself right. and all these kind of new stories come out through the, the kind of close analysis of it. I find that Yeah, I know. think it's so important just in general, but also for artists to be able to do that. Yeah. I think is really important. Totally, yeah. I, think I mean I I'm t- I'll be teaching next week I'll start teaching you know fall semester mm-hmm. and I'm teaching uh, you know a painting critique course it's like an upper level um, you know basically about critiquing mm-hmm. and it's going to be based on one painting right as, as like the anchor the structure of the way we critique is taking one painting I love that and all the different ways you can like look at the influence and just all that mm. you know what I mean mm. and so it's like it's basically about looking deeply mm. and thinking deeply about mm. something mm. so which is like you know it's hard these days yeah it's fast. so counterintuitive yeah I've, I remember doing that with uh, at the, the state art gallery here with a group of students just looking at one work for like half an hour and when they started to like we were just analyzing it and when they started to like draw like big ideas to it, I'd be like, no, 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 no. Let's go back to the surface. Like, <laughs> right. talk about the surface. Let's just, just just as long as possible. Don't make any analysis of like the larger picture, you know. And yeah, um, yeah. And it's kind of like zoom in. Yeah, you can just keep staying zoomed in, and they and actually that revealed much more, much more nuance. And the ideas came out that were actually beyond the kind of general idea that they would have come to earlier on. You know, it, it's like through the sort of material analysis that all this other stuff comes out and and it got political in the end you know but it started with the fact of the thing and right. i think and a lot of them a few of those students said like that was at the end of the course that was the thing that they remembered the most and had the most sort of impact so yeah it's like yeah it, it holds yeah it, it, it it's difficult at first i think but or maybe it's not see there's so many things that i learned in school or subjected to Mm. that I was like what am I looking at or what am I reading and then years and years down the line it kind of like locked into place Mm -hmm. so it's almost like they planted a seed Mm. that you know it had to take time just like we were talking about like some of that work not really like hitting until like you know 10 years out of school and you look back at you know Turner and you're like whoa this is amazing like look at the surface of this and the phenomenology of the landscape and like sublime and you know you can't get there that fast you know it takes time yeah you're building you gotta learn to learn to see you know basically exactly other than just like flicking the screen up it's pretty bad constantly yeah you know because it's you're literally looking at something for about a half a second yeah. and then moving on, moving yeah. on, moving on, moving on. Yeah, and unfortunately, <laughs> like, deep. most of our work probably gets consumed in that way, you know. People see Sure, it. yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> and, and that was, I think, with this recent exhibition was, like, a bit of a, because if you had just quickly looked at the work, there was this sort of overall image that was sort of partly figurative and had certain colours and whatever, and, and if you just looked at it, you'd be like, oh, okay, I get the work, you know, like, that's what it looks like. But actually embedded were these like fragments that I had kind of worked over and like that was so sort of process driven and they were like details within, but they were sort of embedded within the image. So you had to, you just literally had to come up close, otherwise you wouldn't have gotten that. Um, yeah. And that, those were the interesting parts to the work for me that, um, that maybe just didn't translate if you quickly looked at it. But, yeah, I love how, 
um, important surface and texture is in your work. And obviously you, you tie it to experience and the physicality and the, the speed. Mm. There's like a lot of touch points for texture and stuff like that. You know, mm. it's funny because like in my paintings, I'm, I've, everyone always describes them as flat because they see reproductions. Mm. But when you see them in person, there's all these micro shifts and there's mm. actually thicker parts and but it all exists in a pretty thin plane it doesn't right. look right like you know clumpy or yeah you know. yeah there's still a dimension but, um, to that right? totally and it's yeah. important you know it's it's you know it's it's like you know taking a microscope and looking at a cell and mm. when, you know it's all happening in this very thin layer but mm. it's like a whole yeah, you know, world in there, have and you, I think that's really important. That physicality. You know? Yeah. Have you read that um, notes from the woodshed, the Jack Whitten diaries? Oh, just sections. Of, I haven't read the whole thing, but yeah. I've gotten some great quotes from it. Yeah, he talks about that. You know, molecular perception. You know, like, yeah, uh, yeah. So it's such a great, great book. But just how like the small little bite of some sort of piece of acrylic like holds a world and. Um, right. Yeah. That, and the, the dimensions. Yeah, the micro macro. Yeah. 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 It's a great. It's a great one. It's hard because you you always like want to fight it or say like, no, look, this stuff is. There's a world here, or mm. you know. But at the end of the day, it's funny. Like humans are humans, right. and we just like if we hear a good pop song, it's just oh, like it warms up or like it connects. Yeah, yeah. There's some things that we just. And, like, if you see a big, physical, goopy painting, you're just right. like, oh, yeah, that's, like, <laughs> that's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> you know, when it's, like, no different in a way. You know, it's it's yeah. funny, We but we just have our almost, like, unconscious biases when it comes to certain... I guess we're sen- sensory creatures, you know? We want to be yeah. stimulated. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And we, I think we are, no matter how much we try to, like, change it, we are sort of, like, you know animals and like there's certain things that we just like you know things that are like malleable or thick we 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 react to it differently or think about it differently than things that are like cold and kind of like clean you know what i mean yeah yeah i like that idea of like a haptic vision you know it's like you can feel the sense of touch just by looking at something that has a certain texture Um, right and like it doesn't yeah, it actually it literally activates the sense of touch, but but you're actually not physically touching just because it's you know so visceral or something. Um, yeah, and I feel like if you, you know who does that well is uh, is Ryman. Yeah, because yeah. like there's so many shifts. Like if you go see a good room of Ryman's, there's some that are on metal, there's some that mm. are thin with like mylar, there's like, thicker ones, and mm. but since all the imagery and all the color, not all the color, but you know what I mean, mm. like, generally, mm. it's been stripped you're really left with that those mm. shifts between in each image and each object of like how different those those subtle shifts in like you know thickness or mm. material or support mm. become the stars of the show you know mm. i haven't actually seen his work in the flesh but just reading about it um like it makes me think of like that idea of pr- like priming your visions like, like if you start to notice those things that you just mentioned and then you sort of turn to like the gallery wall or, or then or whatever else is in the, in the room all of a sudden they become like that same focus kind of like you, you you bring that same attention to the other things in your life 
um, straight afterwards. Yeah. yeah, it seems like. Yeah, it activates the space in a different way. Yeah. The, it's a metaphysical, you know, not just like the literal space. Mm, mm. You know, it's, it's why I love, if you ever get a chance to go, Dia Beacon. Yeah, I Because love it has ones, like... Yeah. I I mean the Ryman room there is incredible and then you go to Ankuado's room which is very surface you know but the, all those dates mm. and the serenity of all those dates but certain dates just hit you mm. like oh that's my brother's birthday or right. oh that's the day you know and there's all these experience or imagined experiences that start to float in the room mm. that are you know it's a totally different way to experience mm. you know memory and feeling yeah it's, kinda, it's like great yeah. Uh, actually, that I probably have seen Ramans there, but it was such a long time ago that it, it's a lot to take in for the first time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you. Pro- I mean, I don't. I've never been there, and the Ramans weren't there. Right. Okay. So yeah, um, and but there's a chance. Yeah. And then Agnes Martin, you yeah, know, all this yeah. great. Yeah, and the Richters. Like, looking at so much Richter and then seeing those works, it was like, oh, I didn't I didn't think that was Richter when I first saw them. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, different. Yeah, it's. it's a, Seeing work in person is so important. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. It's quasi-religious experience that place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, did you get to not just? Uh, it was actually a question I was thinking of earlier. But mm. growing up or being like in Perth, were you going to see a lot of art? Not heaps, but um, we have some good like the Art Gallery West Australia, and there's the Perth Institute of Contemporary Art. Um, but mainly so through you were seeing some stuff. Some, yeah, seeing some stuff, um, but mainly through reproductions and, and you know looking at books and things. Right. Um, I mean, I think I same for me. Yeah. I when I grew up in Pittsburgh, I went to the Carnegie Museum and I saw some work that was amazing, like big abstract paintings. I remember, but you know, after that, until I moved to New York, you know, it was all like art form or mm. art in America. Mm. You know, and then when I got to New York. The first show I saw was like Larry Pittman and Carol Dunham. Right. And it was when Carol Dunham was putting the styrofoam balls on the, the oh. canvas. I was just like, what the... <laughs> like, it just totally blew my mind. Right, you know? yeah. It was really cool nice. to see it in the flesh. Mm. I remember some, like, there was good... Um, around being in, in university in Perth, there was some good, like, artist-run shows. There was one in, like, a yeah. uh, rundown... Oh, it was going to be demolished like a maybe 10-story or 8-story hotel. So each room became like a work by a single artist nice. and those kinds of things. And they, they kind of left an impression just because the unique spaces that they were in and just seeing, yeah. seeing how art could interact with, you know, the context of outside of a gallery. Right. Um, yeah. That was, it's, yeah, those are important. They stick in your mind, <laughs> those kinds of shows. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was a coffee shop growing up that had like, I mean, the, I'm sure the art was okay, but it was mm-hmm. just like seeing these big pieces up while you're just sitting there for hours. Right. You know, it was kind of like great. You know, yeah. I remember there was an artist making work on burlap coffee bags stretched over stretchers, right. <laughs> and I was just like, "What the hell? Like, you could do that?" You right, know, yeah. was a, I was fascinated by it. Mm. You know, yeah. Even my um, my grandfather on um, my dad's side, he he was also like a painter, more of like. He would paint like the Australian bush and like sort of scenes yeah. from from art magazines, um, Australian artist magazine and things like that. But just he had his paintings all around in the house and spent a lot of time with my grandparents and just looking at the physical object of the painting always kind of fascinated me, even even if it was just a kind of like generic scene. 
Yeah. But just seeing the way that he painted it and fashioned it from, you know, material kind of, yeah, caught my eye as well. Yeah. yeah. And I, I meant to ask you too, because you had mentioned that in the earlier stages of being influenced by architecture and bringing up film, were there specific like movies or films that you really thought were like, there were some like greatest hits of like, oh man, the architecture, the the feeling or look of this movie is so yeah amazing. Uh, obviously Hitchcock and things like that, and any like noir, you know, kind of thing. Oh yeah, Rear Window is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, that's Rear Window is my favorite. Yeah, um, oh, it's such a good movie. Yeah, uh, and Antonioni, the um, um, does like yeah the, the Roman Holiday, I think. Well, yeah, yeah, um, but it was more. I was more looking like more at sort of like um, how those scenes like influence our, how we perceive our own memories, like the first kiss we had or something. And you, you think right. back to your first kiss, and it's like, but there's so many first kiss scenes in movies. You know, it's like, was that yeah. my memory? Or was that just? like an, an amalgamation of all those <laughs> scenes. Right, you know, right. You kind of look through that lens. Um, but, yeah, um, mainly I think when I wrote about it in my, like, paper, it was mainly looking at Hitchcock, but it wasn't limited to him. Um, yeah. Yeah, there was a, there was an era there of some really great architectural, you know, like Godard's, like, like Alphaville and, yeah. you know, um, and, like, Jacques, Jacques Tati was, like, one of my f- favorite filmmakers like mm. playtime was such an amazing visual you know architectural mm. like the architecture in that was like the star of the show basically right like, right yeah those movies were there was a lot of really great stuff mm. yeah, yeah and, and in perth my dad like had this house that he kind of wanted to be an architect i think and um he built this house with an architect who usually had done commercial projects so it was only residential project he had done and it was this sort of really sleek, like minimal modern um, house that had like a secret bookshelf opening and like nice. really strong, yeah, yeah, stark colours and um, and in the neighbourhood that we was in, it was like so out of step with like the kind of Federation style houses <laughs> right. of the you know of the area stuck out, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of the neighbours were like you know snuffing their noses at this you know big sort of <laughs> <laughs> stark you know thing. Right, um, but growing up in that sort of had a, a bit of an impact. It, it was, and then my my mum's house was like this tiny unit that was more of like very much like a home, just filled with stuff, you know, less sort of stark and architectural. Yeah, and, um, yeah, it's interesting. Like when you think about the the house being a house, but then a home being a home, you know, like the house, the, the architectural one was it was such a great sort of like entertaining space and it was a great lifestyle, you know, but it didn't have that same like warmth of like a small house, right. you know, that's a critique of modernism. Well, you know, I guess, it's like yeah. Stark, beautiful, but not real. Yeah. Like you, you don't feel like you're really at home. Right. Yeah. Like it looks, yeah. Um, but there were some sort of like wooden elements or stuff that you know anything that retains heat maybe <laughs> is literally yeah. literally warm you know uh, right yeah. yeah yeah when you got like concrete floors like cold concrete floors you know it's hard to feel connected you know to a building totally yeah yeah but they look great they look really good yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so now we Frank Lloyd Wright well 
Frank Lloyd Wright brought in a lot of like nature into it, so yeah. I guess those were a little warmer in that sense. But yeah, totally. yeah, that's stark. Like a Mies van der Rohe, you know, is just like looks like a showroom. Yeah, it's beautiful, but yeah, yeah, you don't feel like you could just like you know break out in the chair and get up some popcorn and nah. watch a movie and feel like you're at home. You right? Know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just lay on the ground with your vinyl records or something. Yeah, right. Um, Carlos Scarpa, I, I love that he, the Venetian architect. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Just all yeah. those details, you know, the focus on the detail. It's great. Yeah, have you, um, speaking of, have you traveled around Europe a lot? Um, well, a big sort of change in my work happened when I got a residency in Rome, at the British school in Rome, um, for three months. So that was like my first solid, like more than a holiday sort of stay residency in, yeah. in a European city. Um I had done like a small residency in Venice for like three weeks um, at the, the graphic school there. But yeah, the, the one in Rome was like the most solid um, time. And then, yeah, I'd done a bit of like traveling and, and backpacking um, through like South America and parts of Europe and stuff. Um, but the Rome time was the one that like, you know, you have, have a studio and you're there to make work and to sort of see and take in everything. And that had a big impact because I had, always been interested in painting and then those kind of architectural ideas that we're talking about and then like seeing the fresco paintings it's like right. okay you know here we go this is literally the fusion of that you know um yeah so like all everything crystallized for me it was like wow they're really using painting and architecture as like one big system here um right so that in the uh, the philippines too right did not have a huge effect yeah yeah that's why my wife's childhood um Home is in Manila or Quezon City, so um, yeah, I've been there to sort of take impressions of her house and um, to kind of learn about her past and things like that. Um, it's a very different, like much more like um, you know, like layers of different like cycles. It seems like things are sort of more temporary there. Things are always changing, like building up upon things. Um, yeah. Whereas I guess Rome has that real like ancient link, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, it's real old. Yeah, real old, <laughs> really quickly. Yeah. Things are so solid, you know. It's like never changing. So yeah. it's kind of awesome. Like both are cool, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's why I love going to Japan is because like you go to Tokyo and it's literally like everything's new. Like it's constantly right. being updated. But then you can go to Kyoto and it's like you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah back in time you know so it's kind of got the best of both yeah worlds. i think the best cities have a bit of both right like, yeah you've, yeah you've got that like physical link to the past but then you've got that like constant sort of morphing and shifting and changing um, right which keeps it like updated and you know new so yeah definitely i guess new york has so it. um w- the work that you're working on now how has it how would you say it's changed or progressed or mutated from like that earlier work when you were just sort of like um you know tapping into this idea of like recording space and texture and Mm. then incorporating that into the image Mm. like is is it something that's constantly developing and morphing based on your own studio practice or is it more Mm. you know surroundings or looking at different things is it more Mm. external or is it a combination yeah, a bit of a probably combination because when I came back from Rome, I started doing these, like I learned to make fresco paintings with plaster and things like that. And so I'd, you know, <laughs> a 
like it seemed like the most counter contemporary thing to do was like <laughs> doing like one of the oldest right. forms of painting um, right right yeah and so i started doing that but then like the bits that um i kind of started hacking at the image and, and like partly destroying the image just to kind of abstract some areas and those bits that fell on the floor became more interesting than the actual thing on the wall and so that's when i started to look more at like physical fragments of of paint and, and impressions and like um, casting and things like that um and so the work went from more fresco pictorial painting to more like physical sculptural like textural casts that i then sort of did yeah. painted in a single color um but now i'm trying to sort of i want to like i feel like it's always in my mind this this dual tension between like the pictorial like when you're going to represent a picture of painting and then like just the more material sculptural sort of thing and how to bridge those two things and i feel like it's still unresolved um yeah like i want to like work on a textured surface that has fragments uh, to develop an image but i don't want the image to like dominate <laughs> the texture right yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at at the moment is like, how do you paint? How do you build up a surface physically with like through painting? Um, but without it just becoming like pure sculpture. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like an ongoing little thing I have with myself. <laughs> that's, that's like the equation, right? Yeah. Yeah. But like that, that dynamic of the, the balance between the two. You know? Yeah, and I, and I like the idea of like multiple kind of registers. So like you can, you know, like an um, like an Agnes Martin thing, like where you can look from afar and then get one thing, and then look closer, and then a different thing comes into focus, and then you look closer again, and it's like, oh wow, there's a whole other world here now in the surface, right. you know, that you, and it's like a, it's like a, a separate world in a way to the other world. So right. Yeah, trying to. I mean, I feel like that's the power of painting. Is it like all these things can come together on a surface, you know? Um, so I'm trying to kind of complicate the surface in that way, so that it has that multiple, you know, kind of reading. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, and what do you generally? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's different. In the studio, is it? I mean, I'm guessing music, or is it? Yeah. News or podcasts or silence? Like what? What's the fuel in the studio, audio-wise? Yeah. <laughs> Probably in the morning, it's more like um, background kind of music, like something instrumental, nothing too crazy, um, yeah. more like ambient, sort of jazzy, soulful sort of stuff. Um, and then later on in the evening, if I'm kind of not getting anywhere and I need to sort of make some more like physical, dis- like <laughs> I need to like attack things a bit, then I'll put on some like more jazz kind of thing. <laughs> where there's yeah. like things that are being improvised and you know it gets a bit more like random you know if i need that yeah. sort of chance frenetic I'm, energy yeah, yeah yeah if i want to like break things yeah like yeah that's funny that yeah it's it's it it's nice when you can match that yeah you know, objective mood right like if you need to get stuff done it's like all right i'm gonna kick my, i mean i think people do that in general like when mm. i go to the gym it's gotta be you know i'm not listening to like you know lo-fi right like it's gotta be yeah. something upbeat yeah. or else i'm just gonna phone it in totally know? yeah like i need the pace and the the bpm the match you know yeah. what i'm doing in yeah. a way yeah when you're doing exercise i even like when, when i ride to the studio on the bike i have the ear pods in and listen to music which is probably not a good thing because i should keep my ear out for the traffic but i um, should keep one in yeah, one out yeah yeah <laughs> but um i feel like that adds you know a good song on the bike is pretty pretty amazing 
you know oh yeah it's yeah. just like it's energy you yeah know? yeah um like the Kendrick Lamar album this new one is just it's been such a crazy like the first time I listened to it the f- first few I was sort of disappointed like I thought it was too sort of like I was entering a psychologist room or something <laughs> oh yeah and then, and then I know what you mean. yeah and then kind of came back to it I think I saw him perform at the um the Louis Vuitton like fashion show and I was like and I heard the music mm-hmm. in that context and I was thinking oh wow actually it's, it's like a soundtrack to that and then when I listened back it's like had this whole like 2.0 sort of effect and I, I appreciate it like even like much more now so yeah, yeah, it's funny how your, your perception. That's of funny. It's just the the context that shift can really make you see something in a different way, you know, or yeah. hear it in a different way. Yeah. So the, I think it's that's a lot. Live shows do that too. Right. I mean, you can hear a record and then you go see a live show. It can either enhance or destroy. Right. <laughs> like you can yeah. come after yeah. after the live show and be like, oh man, that's like, oh, that's how they, you know, right. or like you could see a live show afterwards and be like, oh, that really. Yeah, like I've seen anything. some like some rappers, and they just like shout over the over the track, and it's like, oh, or, or they might have like yeah, yeah. two other backup, you know, hype people, and it's like, well, okay, you're getting your sort of energy across, but the music's pretty much like you know zoned out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's you got to bring that just just something extra to it. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, yeah, or some kind of like maybe live element that sort of adds another you know layer to it or something like that, or. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I do so, it. but it sounds like your wheelhouse is like this kind of like jazzy hip hop, like instrumental. Yeah, I think about like it's funny how big that that kind of had a because I remember, you know, being a DJ in college, and then like there was like the first wave of, you know, it was like uh, what's his name, DJ Shadow and stuff. Yeah, like that it was like really yeah. big. You know, like the origins of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then it really seems to recently picked up like this. I'm always amazed at like lo-fi and like those, you know, how popular that's. Yeah, I, I, I mean, was, part of it I think is people like to study and relax to it. Right. Yeah. But it's yeah. these, those these Spotify, lo-fi chill beats yeah. things that have like you know five million views or like, yeah, you know, yeah. It's pretty popular. Yeah, I think it's like um, it's a certain you know vibe. <laughs> Yeah, um, definitely. There's a good article um, I read recently. It's called What's in a Vibe? And it literally tries to explain what a vibe is. <laughs> and I, I've been thinking about it um, and kind of like add some theory to it and things like that. Um, it's on Moose Magazine. and um, But I, th- I think about that. I'm thinking, okay, like there is something to that idea of vibe that it, it's, once, it's like when you're making a loop, like a sample loop. Um, and when I used to make music, you'd, you'd, you'd get this sort of, okay, now I'm, I've entered into a certain frequency that kind of puts your mind slightly at ease maybe. Maybe it feels like yeah. a Sunday afternoon or something like that. Um, and it's, you enter that state. And then from once you have that sort of vibe, you can then build on it and make it sort of a larger thing. And, and when I think about that in terms of making work, it's like the same thing. Like I'm, I'm trying to develop a fragment. This is almost like a sample you know, of music. Right. Then the fragment has a sort of vibe. <laughs> And then you build on that. Once you've got it, you know, like where you want it, you sort of, that's the thing now. That's the seed. You know, you can then sort of like accumulate things onto it. 
Um, right. So yeah, something about yeah, that's sound. a really cool way to think about it. Look, it's funny because that "Don't Kill My Vibe" Kendrick song yeah. popped in my head. I know. I know. Well, this <laughs> is the, the joke. There is like nothing kills a vibe more than someone trying to explain what a vibe is. I know, and it's so dry. Which is a joke. Yeah. But no, it's not though. That was like a really interesting way to think about. Mm. or or to describe that way of painting because mm. it really is like that you try to like you know to to build this baseline mm. of a certain sort of comfort and meditative yeah. you know like i love house music because it it has that simplicity to it yeah and there's something like repetitive you know, it's same thing like Philip Glass or like Stephen Reich or something. Something mm. that's slowly built. Like, I don't know if you've ever listened to Stephen Reich's drumming record. No. But it's so nice because it just starts off with like a beat and then another person comes in with a counter beat and then it just keeps layering mm. and goes and goes and goes. But it's it's never it's never startling because it just slowly adds it. Yeah. But at the end of it, you're like, oh my God, there's like a million things going on here. But yeah. Really that reminds me of the, that. um, the floating points and Farrah Saunders album. Oh, yeah, that? yeah. That's like yep, the yeah. one loop, you know, but the whole album is like a building on a loop, a vibe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the corner by Miles Davis is basically the same beat right. and baseline through the whole record, right. you know, which was pretty wild at that point. Mm. But yeah, and like Fella Cootie will have like you know a, a, a sixty-minute song, mm. you know what I mean? Mm. And it's just the same thing going over and over. And it's yeah. great, and you know that like Zakir Hussein and Nusrat, like all these like sort of like Sufi singers, mm. like it, that sort of repetition in music has been around and there's something kind of magical about it and yeah. it does really create a vibe yeah and like for artists who always want to ideally get into a flow state yeah to where they just can work i mean it kind of like there's something you know that's uh that synchronizes with that yeah. idea of like the the repetitive nature yeah i know some artists who i've talked to on the podcast who would listen to one song when they're making a painting over and over they oh, just wow. loop it <laughs> wow I mean, I can imagine like a, an instrumental one that repeats, but if it was like a song that, you know, had like a whole narrative journey, I, I don't know, I'd be, get, I'd be getting pretty annoyed. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I think they were all instrumental. Yeah. They weren't like, okay. you know, Bob Dylan songs. Yeah, right, I right. mean, that would drive anyone crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's like watching a movie like again and again. Um, over and over, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's, you know, this article that I mentioned tried to, tries to like link it to sort of, like a cosmological frequency or something like that, you know. Yeah. And I, I do think there's something to that. It's, you know, there's some kind of frequency that art can tap into that, you know, maybe we can't perceive with our senses or something. Um, and that's the vibe. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. I, I agree. And I think the cynic will say that something that's really popular is just popular because everyone's glomming on to what everyone else likes. Mm. But I think there's something to be said for a sort of like universal kind of unconscious like mm. you know being invited to something or like drawn to it yeah you know? yeah it's like a good pop song it's like you know like yesterday by the beatles like it's mm. one probably one of the most popular songs ever right mm. there's a reason there's like there's something about those chords and the yeah. way it sounds that just you yeah. know everyone's like yeah that's a really good song yeah yeah yeah, there's certain things like sometimes I'm, I get doubtful about, you know, even teaching and you know, we we're talking about before, like how do you as, as well judge, you know, art without your own subjectivity and stuff. But there are there are literally some things which I think are now objectively good works of art, yeah. <laughs> like right. like the Sydney right. Opera House, you know, it's like, 
Uh, yeah. At first, no one wanted that. It was like they had to fight to get that to happen. And now you you couldn't meet a person that didn't agree that that's a great <laughs> piece of architecture. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. And you part of it too is that it is different, and you won't you can't ignore it. No. Like it's just iconic. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And maybe that's maybe a part of it is obviously because it has that iconic thing that you associated with a city and. Um, but there's a certain geometry to that building, you know. You've seen like the how uh, Woodson like cut an orange to develop that that design. It was like you, you see how that it was developed. It was literally like a, a ball that was being cut up in a geometrical way and then like reconfigured from those pieces. So there's a certain oh, that's cool. certain I geometry. Didn't know that. Yeah. So it's, I just thought it was like turtles stacked on each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> looks like that. Yeah, yeah Eros Arnen made some amazing buildings too of like of like weird shapes that you know, there's some it's funny, I think that happens a lot where people fight something and they're just like, No, this isn't cool because it is a little different. Mm. But then it ends up becoming such a like, you know Yeah a fundamental part of our culture or our, yeah. our society. It's, yeah. It's amazing like, how that stuff works. Yeah, I think almost the best things are are a bit sort of you don't straight away like agree with maybe or you don't just right. consume like in this sort of like you or, like straight away know that it's incredible. I don't know. It sort of has to shock you a bit, maybe. Yeah. To then sort of move things forward because it's like something you have never encountered, so therefore it's kind of like maybe innovative or something. Um, right. I use that for my reason. My wife loves me because you know <laughs> a little not it wasn't love at first. It was right. a little like shocking and like I don't know. But then that was a slow burn. Yeah, that's what you want, though. That's the real deal. Right. That's the yeah, that's yeah, the that's meaningful the one. Deal. You know, that's not like yeah. It was just it wasn't like you know yeah a beautiful face that caught your eye. You know, it's right. like there's substance. Yeah, there. it's like the antithesis to Tinder. It's like you you have to straight away right, like right. something. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that deep look we were talking about before. It's like yeah. you really got to dig in right. and find the gold inside. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> it's look not on the surface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> look beyond the skin quality. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, um, so you're working on new stuff now. Do you have anything coming up that you want to share with people? Um, anything going on at the moment? Or uh, well, I've got a show uh, at Cronenberg Maze Wright, which is a gallery I, I show at in Sydney next year. Um, so mm-hmm. just now working to that. I've got a, a kind of empty studio now, so everything's kind of beginning again, which is exciting. Right. Um, the fresh start. The fresh start. Yeah, it's like exciting, but also, you know, nerve-wracking. Daunting. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And then um, uh, I show at the UNSW Galleries, which is like the um, uh, university gallery here in Sydney. The following year, that'll be like my PhD final exhibition. So nice. Yeah, well, we'll that's see exciting. How that comes out. Yeah, hopefully that's. Yeah, and for for people who can't get there to see your work, best ways. Just the website. Yeah, just masonkimber.com. Instagram. Yeah, and and Instagram. Yeah, I try to keep my website like you know have up to date with all the things so it's, it's hard we try i know we try with the website stuff yeah I f- you know even we fall victim of the the quicker i know quicker stuff i know. know yeah we're not, we're not perfect for sure cool all right well, well thanks for doing it it yeah. was great to to meet and talk you and too. uh you know uh thanks for for taking the time you too appreciate it
Thank you.